Welcome to Sex Ed with DB. I'm your host, DB. Let's get into it. Welcome back to the podcast. If you love and support the work that we do, consider joining my crew on Patreon to win amazing prizes like our adorable merch, exclusive behind-the-scenes content, and incredible sex toys. Go to patreon.com slash sexedwithdb to join my crew. Get discounts at all of your favorite sex toy shops at sexedwithdb.com. And follow us on Insta at sexedwithdbpodcast and on TikTok at sexedwithdb. If you want to partner with us, email us at sexedwithdb at gmail.com. Let's talk about a lube I absolutely love, Uberlube. Uberlube makes sex better for everyone by reducing friction and increasing pleasure. Whether you're using it for solo sex time, sex with a partner, or both, Uberlube has a long-lasting performance that lets skin feel skin. It has simple body and condom-friendly ingredients, is scent and color-free, dissipates when no longer needed so there's no sticky residue, and is recommended by leading doctors. Use code SEXEDWITHDB for 15% off at uberlube.com. If you've been a longtime fan of Sex Ed with DB, you've definitely heard of Clonawilly. But if you're new here, let me fill you in. Clonawilly makes incredible DIY molding kits that allow anyone to make an exact replica of any penis or vulva into a high-quality, 100% body-safe sex toy. And there are so many fun colors to choose from. Use promo code SEXEDWITHDB20 for 20% off at clonawilly.com. And follow them on Instagram, at clonawillykit. We talk a lot about sex ed, but when we're shopping for products to support our sexual wellness, exploration, and expression, we head to the experts at Lion's Den. Lion's Den is an adult retailer with 46 locations nationwide and hundreds of your favorite brands. They have everything you need to explore and express your sexual side. Right now, you can use code SEXEDWITHDB for 15% off your purchase in-store and online. Follow them on social media at Lion's Den Adult on IG and TikTok for exclusive offers, deals, and giveaways. Mariah, hello. Welcome. How's it going? Hi, it is going well. How are you? I'm great. I am absolutely jazzed to have you here today. Uh, We have been TikTok friends for a couple months now, and our relationship is blossoming and growing, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I would. I mean, it's been kind of a whirlwind. I've met so many people on TikTok, so I, yeah, I'm really excited. So stoked to have you. Uh, let's have you introduce yourself to the listeners and let us know what you do. Yeah, sounds good. My name is Mariah. She, A, are my pronouns. I am a sex educator. I work primarily with young people in middle and high school, sometimes puberty age. Um, that includes like putting on workshops, collaborating with school sites to bring comprehensive sex education programs and classes to young people. I, sorry, long introduction, I guess. Keep going. No, that was great. (laughs) Um, I also work for a nonprofit organization where I do digital learning designing. So I um, create digital sex education programs, um, primarily in the form of games or e-courses. So that's the, that's like my main source of income. (laughs) Very cool. We have so much overlap in our interests and Mm -hmm. in our uh, just like what we want for this world, I feel. And I think there's such value in design and the way in which we approach, especially young people when it comes to sex ed, because it's already so awkward and taboo, not only because of the way in which our society has positioned sex education or not positioned it rather, um, but also just because young people don't feel like good all the time in their bodies and they're really learning about themselves for the first time. And so really fun, engaging ways for them to reflect on that information and process it is key, I feel. Yeah, I totally agree. One thing that 
we really prioritize or I really value is the community-centered or youth-centered type of design where they're involved in the process, where we can consult them or have them tell us what do you, what do they want to learn? Like, what do you want to learn in sex education? That way, sex ed is relevant, it's accessible, and it's culturally responsive to their needs and experiences. So I I really advocate for the youth-centered and youth involvement in the process or peer-led sex ed, all that kind of stuff. Love it. Super important. What was your sex ed like growing up? Like, where did you grow up? How how did that experience inspire you to do this work or or did it not? Was that was that coming from somewhere else? Like, tell me a bit about your background. Yeah. yeah. Um, my sex ed was non-existent. Uh, I feel like this would probably be a good place for like a content warning because sexual violence and sexual abuse is very much tied to where I am now and why I do this work. Um, so I'll just throw that in there. Um, yeah, I grew up very religious. I grew up very conservative in a Christian evangelical home. So this really set the tone for the way that I understood myself, the way I understood the world. And um, it was very toxic. Uh, purity culture, that's what my life was riddled with. So I didn't get sex education. Um, my main like sort of belief or understanding was that my body didn't belong to me or it mm. was, it only existed to either make people happy or to make people uncomfortable. Um, so that that's how I grew up for a very, very long time, really until college or a little bit after that. So um, no, even if I did get sex ed, I think that belief system would have been stronger but I don't know because who who knows so with that being said um experiencing childhood sexual abuse and sexual violence throughout my formative years created this really complicated relationship or kind of like disconnection with my body where I already didn't think it was mine so now I really didn't think it was mine or um felt very just like uncomfortable with my body or even like the idea of sex or a sexual kind of experience. So yeah, a huge lack of control um, from what the things that had happened to me, but also in the way that I like understood myself. So in high school, that was the first time I had like a real sex ed class, um, which perpetuated these ideas because I had the classic sex ed where they passed out pictures of STDs, STIs on genitals, primarily vulvas. Um, and that was the bulk of it. They said, like, if you have sex, this this is what will happen. So there was really no consideration for people who had already experienced sexual abuse or sexual violence or, mm. um, I mean, there was no foundational knowledge of like bodily autonomy, communication, nothing like that. So that was my sex ed. <laughs> oh God, nightmare. Um, first of all, I'm so sorry that that was your experience growing up. That's super awful. And I am very like, impressed with your ability to like be influenced by that and want other people to have as much information and education and autonomy in their bodies and minds as possible and it's very unfortunate and shitty that that had that happened to you and so I just want to make space for that and say that thank you yeah I really appreciate that it's definitely one of those things that like I I'm glad that now I've been able to access the resources to allow me to share that with other people. Um, and yeah, that's, it's definitely been an inspiring thing, I guess. Um, but that's not to say that people need to go through things to be inspired, you know? Right. Yeah. 
like this whole idea of like, <laughs> well, I'm like, quote unquote, stronger for it. It's like, mm-hmm. I didn't really ask to be stronger for it. Yeah. I just kind of want to live my life and exactly. like feel good <laughs> in my body. Um, coming off of that, like people who are listening who uh, also receive that kind of sex ed where it was only STI based and like mainly like really scary quote unquote looking pictures of like very intense STIs and mm-hmm. like if that was your experience write to us at sexedwithdb at gmail.com <laughs> because I feel like most guests that we've had on and we ha- we've had over 85 episodes at this point and some of our past seasons have had multiple guests per episode so like we've talked to like over 100 people definitely yeah. Yeah. and I would say this is such a common theme that people have experienced growing up of saying oh you know my sex ed was basically nothing however I remember it we did talk about STIs and this idea that we need to shame people or scare people out of having sex isn't only not helpful but it's actively harmful and I really want people to grasp like how Mariah and I are like in our 20s and we are still remembering what we learned as like a a prepubescent person (laughs) or a young teen like over half of our lives ago you know like that Mm -hmm. is wild and really so harmful and I just hope that if you're listening and you also experience that you know that you're not alone (laughs) and that um that's really shitty and that should not persist and shouldn't happen yeah i completely agree (laughs) oh god so terrible um let's talk about something a little bit more fun than scary sdi (laughs) pictures which is tiktok um yeah you failed to mention in your bio that you have an audience of like two hundred and twenty-five thousand people that you've grown over (laughs) what what has it been like a year less than six months how long have you been on tiktok let's go there first um i've been on tiktok for maybe a year but i just started making like sex ed videos in the past like maybe five or six months okay that stop right there you have like a quarter of a million followers (laughs) from five months of creating content tell me about that tell me about joining tiktok like how have you managed to grow that audience? Like what what has that been like for you? Yeah, great question. Um, it's a really, whirlwind, I imagine. Yeah, exactly. It has all been by chance, but it doesn't surprise me because just like in the classroom, students have so many questions. They're so curious. They want to talk about this stuff. There are a lot of the times they're the ones um initiating conversations and important discussions. So the fact that young folks want to know the answers to sex ed questions is, yeah, that doesn't surprise me. So I think that has a lot to do with it is like people want this information. And so now that it's there in the form of like bite-sized learning moments, um, they can respond, they can you know, save those videos, they can learn some quick information that is inclusive and medically accurate and also um, tailored toward their needs and not like just some random adult talking about, you know, their their experience or something like that. It's, it's for them. So it, I think in that way, it can feel differently or it can feel... Um, I don't know, just, I guess, authentic. So yeah, I never intended it to be um, like another sex education resource. I just kind of wanted to share um, the questions that I get and have another space to answer them or kind of emphasize the importance of inclusive sex education. Um, So that's that's kind of where I'm at. I mean, I feel very, very honored that people want to learn and people want to listen and people have so many wonderful questions in the comments. Um, I think that's been really wonderful. But I, yeah, I'm still learning like how to engage on TikTok, especially since we're up against a lot of like 
community guidelines, stuff like that. Yep, yep. we can totally get into that also. Yeah, because I think both great. of us have <laughs> challenges with that. But yes, yes, that's I think that's one of the biggest challenges. For sure. So. Yeah. What I really love about your content, I mean, there are a lot of things, but I think for me, the fact that you are so intentionally inclusive about your answers, your language, being queer inclusive, um, you're a person who identifies as bisexual. So I think that that is like definitely something that comes across authentically in your content. And also like when people ask you questions in the comments, like your attitude is very much like there's no question too embarrassing. Like everything deserves an answer. And I just really appreciate that point of view. I feel like it's really welcoming and and viewers and your followers can feel it. And I think that that is very special. So I just want to applaud you for that. Oh, thank you. <laughs> but yeah, let's let's talk about those community guidelines for a second, because I think both of us and we talked about this, me and Dr. Jen Lincoln, um, when I had yeah, her on this yeah. season, all about being an OBGYN on TikTok and like how that has been challenging when some of the content and she even admitted like this doesn't happen to her as much because she's a verified creator. So there's mm -hmm. like a lot of power and privilege and power dynamics at play when we're talking about those kinds of creators. But I think that it's just so shitty and it's such a disservice that people who aren't verified like us and who have, you know, quote unquote, smaller micro influencer followings, right. um, get their content deleted and shadow banned. And, you know, like, t talk to me about your experience with that and like how you mitigate it. Yeah, um, I do have a couple of things that I do to actively challenge it. Um, one of the things because my videos are primarily talking videos and so when I'm answering questions about sex ed, of course I'm going to say I don't, what words that get censored typically like sex, for example. Um, or vagina. Yeah, exactly. So every time I post one of those videos, I add a sound to it. That way TikTok, because TikTok, if they, I, once I posted a video with just me talking, I forgot to add the sound and it got taken down, just the sound. So I know that they um, kind of strike that, that first sound bite. Um, if it says anything, they'll take it down. So anytime I add a sound to it, it's good. It stays for the most part. So that's one thing I do. And then of course, in the way that I spell things, I spell them obscurely that way they don't look like the traditional spelling mm -hmm. like sex I spell s-e-c-k-s -E mm -hmm. um it is a little bit of a annoying piece of the editing process but it's also really saved me in terms of things not getting taken down so spelling things differently in both the captions and any sort of like overlay text and then in the hashtags, I don't hashtag anything related to sex or sex education because those are, they usually block those hashtags anyway. Like you can still put them in your video, but they don't typically come up for other people. So I only hashtag things that sort of have to do with whatever I'm talking about. I typically hashtag like health class or health mm -hmm. educator, health education, and then yeah. um that's been just fine so far. Um, Knock on wood. Yeah. And then some other little things I'm just kind of paying attention to is, um, especially because I work with and, then, and I'm talking to and involving youth in this process, um, I'm really cognizant of what how I say like student or kid or youth. Um, I don't say like kid or child mm -hmm. or like this kid wants to know um because that usually gets flagged as like a minor safety thing mm -hmm. so I usually say youth and that's usually how I address youth anyways by saying youth but it's another one of those little things that Tricks. I just kind of picked up on and yeah it's really you, you kind of find little tricks to hide from <laughs> the guidelines which is really funny um but it's it so frustrating right? like the yes like the guidelines are meant to protect people and like we've talked about this again like with Jen Lincoln but just like it's so unfortunate that these like robots slash real people who are you know looking at this content and deciding whether or not it gets to stay or it gets mm -hmm. to be deleted 
they're not trained on comprehensive sex ed, obviously. Right, right. So there's no sort of in between. It's like, oh, you're either like trafficking a child or you're showing nudity and like that if you're using the word sex. And it's like, actually, no, like there are plenty of other things that you can be doing uh, that sex educators and activists and authors do do on TikTok that yeah. are aiming to inform people in age-appropriate sex ed. And so, yeah, definitely, like, love your positivity. <laughs> um, I'm, like, very jaded by it just because I know that, like, right now, for example, that I'm shadow banned and there's just kind of, like, nothing you can do. But wait, and you've been in that situation before. We've talked about, like, oh, if you search our usernames, like, they don't come they don't up. Come you have up. to, like, yeah. write the whole thing out and then it pops up all the way at the end, but it doesn't, like, suggest it for you. And that's yeah. part of the shadow ban. Also, my comments, like, if I reply to comments – Sometimes they don't show up, and I think it's because my username has sex in it and says yeah. sex ed files. So I think that's why, because anytime I reply, like, the, I don't say anything too wild in right. my replies to comments. So I think that's another thing. Sometimes they show up, sometimes they don't. For sure. But, yeah, another another point to shadow banning. Oh, God. They went again. No. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's talk about these really, really popular videos, though, that you create with like millions and millions of views that are all about anonymous question box questions and answers. Like, I love this concept. And I would love if you could talk about this concept of the anonymous question box overall, because I don't think the the layperson really realizes how powerful of a tool this is in our sex education classrooms. Yeah, yeah. This is a great question. So the anonymous question box is an additional tool used in a lot of sex ed programs or classes. It pretty much gives students the opportunity to submit as many anonymous questions um, as they have about topics we're covering in the class. And so in California, with the California Healthy Youth Act, there's a set amount of topics and kind of standards that have to be met when providing sex education. Um, and that covers a multitude of topics, anywhere from sex, gender, relationships, boundaries, consent, internet safety, human trafficking, um, STIs, all of that stuff. So everyone does it differently, um, but I usually would bring like a cute decorated box with like stickers on it and stuff like that and writing utensils and note cards and would set them on every single desk um, and put the question box kind of near the door so when they exit class they can put their note card in there and then the following day I would take about like 15 minutes to answer all of their questions um, and the questions that don't get answered there are like certain kind of guidelines and standards with that based on maybe what organization you're working for what curriculum you're teaching um, but it really is revolved around what's age appropriate what's not but for the most part I try and answer every single question because I think all of them are valid and even if there are like trolls or like trolling questions yeah there's still a lot of penis something ones. to learn yes. a lot of penis ones but yeah there's still ways to answer it and there's still pieces in there that can be talked about or um education so yeah it's it's done differently everywhere. If it's a workshop, then that's usually like one day. So we set a certain amount of time within that workshop. Um, and all of the questions get shuffled. So, you know, they're, it's supposed to, it's meant to be very anonymous and private. They don't have to write a question, of course, but the majority of them do. And a lot of students have said, this is my favorite part of sex ed. Um, this is the best part because it's really where all the gaps are feel filled and where they get to put their voice into it, what they want to learn, feedback maybe, um, and ultimately what they're needing to learn. Like what, this is what, this is the info that I need, um, and just to clarify, because I do share them online, both on 
Instagram and obviously TikTok. Um, the way I've usually done it to kind of honor that anonymity is students can write no on their note card or on the back of their note card if they don't want it to be shared. Because in the like group agreements that I go over with our question box, I usually let them know that um, they might be shared for educational purposes, either online or um, at the organization. And um, some put no, but the majority don't because they're still anonymous. Um, But yeah, that's that's the way the question box works. Um, And yeah, it's also one of my favorite pieces of sex ed. Close your eyes and think of your ideal sex toy. No matter what you like, you'll find it at Fun Factory. A few things Fun Factory's toys all have in common. They're 100% body safe so your mind is free to focus on fun. They include sex educator design games to get you going. And they're made in Germany, meaning they're long lasting. You get more O's from your toy when it stays in your nightstand and out of the landfill. Follow Fun Factory on IG at FunFactoryUSA and use code SEXEDWITHDB for 15% off your new favorite German vibe. In a world that constantly encourages you to change, it's bold to just be yourself. Sexual expression and satisfaction are different for everybody, so rather than conforming to others, focus on falling in love with who you are. Lion's Den sources the very best products to help you find what you like and help you feel confident expressing your sexual desires. You can get 15% off in-store and online using code SEXEDWITHDB to begin exploring everything about yourself. Follow Lion's Den on social, at Lion's Den Adult on Instagram and TikTok. Yes, I think it's so phenomenal. First of all, that's a super helpful piece of info about the consent that you have from those students. I think that's something that I should implement because when I typically share questions, it's not like a direct quote, but it's like kind of like, oh, this is a question I've gotten before. But I do think like as much consent you can get from students, the better. Um, And I just love this idea of like telling the students like, hey, you can ask like whatever the hell you want, like if it's sex ed related and anything. There's so many topics under the umbrella of sex ed. So like feel free Mm -hmm. and students love it. Like you're right. Like I've experienced this too in my, you know, however many years of teaching sex ed in the classroom. I think like cumulatively I've taught like three plus years of sex ed in the classroom and um every time it's people's favorite thing. Like they really look forward to me doing like question box highlights the next day. And then, you know, at the end of the class or whatever, I'll kind of create a Google doc with all the answers. They can go over it and they can have it to view. And there are links and studies and websites and resources. And it's just such a, a memorable way to think like, oh yeah, I had like these really burning questions and nothing is too weird or too strange. Um, And this is going to kind of like uh, be the rest of most of this episode, uh, which is question box, questions and (laughs) answers. Um, You know, it's going to be more flowy than normal because we're going to go over the top five question box questions that we both have gotten over the years as sex educators and our personal answers for our own and each other's questions. So we're going to go back and forth um, with the questions, have a convo about each one. And so we're going to have you go ahead and start um, with your like, you know, we're going to go like five, four, three, two, one. So what is like maybe your fifth, like most asked or most interesting question box question? And then we're going to go from there. Okay. Yeah, this is, it was really hard to narrow down because there's so many. Um, Yeah. And to be honest, these aren't in a particular order. So like, I don't really have a top one. These are really just like the five that I ever any class I go to, I know I'm getting Always questions get sort of. Yes. Thing. Okay. Totally fair. Um, so this first one is um what is the normal penis size or what's the average penis size and does it matter? Love this question. Get it often. And really what it comes down to students want to know like am I normal um some people want to know the exact number because they just need that like statistic to go on with their day but oftentimes this kind of background information helps them feel valid in their body so yeah I really start off by saying like 
everyone's body is valid and normal um, and bodies and genitals, penises come in all shapes and sizes and lengths and colors and skin textures and average doesn't necessarily mean normal um, because there really isn't this normal look of a penis or this like normal size. Uh, there's a lot of myths and misinformation about penis size and the idea that bigger is better is just not true for everyone. Um, and on that same note, penis size isn't necessarily like an indicator of whether you're able to have sex or experience pleasurable experiences. Like everyone has different preferences, of course, and certain sexual needs, but it all comes down to communication. And no matter what your body part looks like or the way that it functions, there's so many ways to experience pleasure and have a wonderful time. So yeah, that's, that's, that would be like a kind of short and sweet answer. But for those who are really needing that number, um, I might also, I mean, this is, this is what I would end with, you know, like I would really give those disclaimers at the beginning, maybe even talk a little bit about these like societal expectations and toxic expectations on um, the body and gender stereotypes and like what's seen as masculine or manly mm. and really try and separate body parts and body size from like attractiveness or manliness or whatever it might be. So all of that to be said, I believe when flaccid, so non-erect, the average is like 1.5 to 3 inches. And then when erect, about five inches and of course there's a range it's different for everyone but that's like the average yeah so really thorough answer yeah here. yeah I have been told by students you talk too much <laughs> so I'm working on that so but no I it's funny because that is like the the a plus answer I think like that you said everything that I completely agree with I think what I what how I usually answer this question is like exactly what you said in the beginning. All bodies deserve to be celebrated, like regardless of penis size. And exactly what you said at the end, the average penis size erect is five point <laughs> one to five point five inches. But that doesn't mean that if you don't have that or if you do have that, there's anything better or worse about it. And just kind of like leaving it at that, I think like the reason why for me, the size is important to share is because in pornography, which we know young people are watching and getting access to, penis size is typically like double, like or yeah. at least like two thirds more than like the average Absolutely. or something, unless you're watching a specific kind of porn like that have average or small penises in particular. But I would say a majority of porn with penises have people who have larger penises and it can be really easy for young people with penises who have seen porn to feel, oh, like I am so weird and like I have such a small penis, no one is going to want to have sex with me or like think that that's cool. And so I think like easing their mind a little bit and being like, listen, you're you're to you're totally fine. Like you're probably typical. And if you're <laughs> not, like that doesn't mean anything. Yeah. And like it's all about like communication, pleasure, healthy relationships. Like that's really where we want to bring that. So, yeah, we're we're totally on the same page there. Um, one question that I get a lot um, is, like, some form of am I pregnant? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, a lot, not necessarily in school, but, like, in our DMs, we get a lot of people saying, like, hey, this is a particular scenario that I just went through or my period is X days late or the condom broke or X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Am I pregnant? <laughs> And we created an entire like infographic to speak to this because a lot of people don't understand like how pregnancy really works and like the ins and outs of it and the fact that a sex educator, no matter how studied and expert they are, cannot tell you the answer to that yeah. question unless you go get a pregnancy test um, slash like go to a clinic and chat with a provider about specific days in which yeah. you are late or the last time you had unprotected sex and so like there 
if you're interested in that, definitely go to the infographic that's on our Instagram <laughs> that says like, can I be pregnant? And there's a bunch of slides there um, that share that. But yeah, I just think it's really interesting the fact that there's like this panic culture around pregnancy and around if your period is late, like then you like freak out and feel like, oh no, like that that must mean that I'm pregnant. Or this misinformation about like, oh, the condom just broke. Am I pregnant now? And like what people don't super understand is that it takes like multiple days and weeks in order for you to wait to see if you are pregnant, depending on whether or not you were ovulating at that time. And most people don't really know when they're ovulating. Like even if people have a regular 28-day, you know, quote-unquote typical 28-day cycle, you typically ovulate between days like 12 and 16 of your cycle. And even then, it could be on day 18. It could be on day uh, nine. Like you just really can't have proof of that. Um, There are ovulation tests, which my mom, who's an OBGYN, has been like, yeah, those can work and they cannot. So it's kind of challenging. But yeah, I'm curious if you get probably not with like young teens in the class, but if you've ever been approached by this question and and what you say. Yeah, I definitely get this question a lot. Um, Yeah, I really stick to the there's no way to know for sure unless you get tested because you're right. That's really what it comes down to. Of course, there are things that you can pay attention to, but sometimes that can really stir up fear. Um, So one thing I try and add or I might add at the very beginning is like that concern and fear is valid. It's really, it's always a good idea to pay attention to new things your body is doing. Mm -hmm. And if you're ever worried about anything, luckily there are resources to sometimes clear up that information if you need it to be. Um, And then kind of talk about the, the way that periods work, especially with young folks, because it's so common for young people to experience irregular or late periods. Mm -hmm. And when something is late, that might be their first kind of indicator because that's what they see in the movies. That's what they see on TV. And, and that's also a accurate um, sign as to whether or not someone is pregnant. So um, I try and clear up that misconception that like, all young people have regular 28 to 32 day cycles. Um, It's sometimes very normal for your body to experience late periods. So that's another thing I would add. Otherwise, like exactly what you said, um, that's uh, the majority of the information that I would share, um, but really emphasizing like, get tested. Get tested. Yep. And like, make sure that you don't get tested the day after. And if it's negative, that's it. Like you need to understand like, oh, how, like speak to a clinician, tell them the last day of unprotected sex, and they'll tell you when they recommend you taking a test. And it's usually at least 10 days after unprotected sex. Um, So yeah, what's, what's another question that you get? Yeah. Um, Another one I get is, is it sex supposed to hurt uh, or is it going to be painful? Like my first time having sex. Um, It's another kind of like a loaded question with a lot of different layers and, you know, more like cultural societal pieces in there. But um, I usually say like, no, no one should have uncomfortable or painful sex that they don't want um if something hurts like you do not need to continue um painful sex that continues every time you have sex it's a really good idea to talk with a healthcare provider um sex should be a positive enjoyable pleasurable experience or something that you want so if that includes pain that's great but if it doesn't that can sometimes be an indicator of several other things like for example, vaginismus. I mean, that's something a doctor could definitely talk to you about or give resources. Um, But some reasons why sex might be uncomfortable or even scary during the first time is like nervousness or that uncertainty. Um, And that can sometimes cause like muscles to tense up um, or, you know, your body to tense up and that can feel very uncomfortable. 
So this is where like communication and honoring your needs and discussing boundaries with partners is really one of the best ways to maybe ease some of that anxiety, but also just navigate sex and um, the experience that can sometimes be a little awkward at first. Um, I also really emphasize like being patient with yourself. There's Mm. really no rush to get right into it if you don't want to, emphasizing consent. Um, And then of course, like for people who want that specific information, because I also get this question in the context of like, is my cherry going to pop? Mm. Or, you know, will my hymen tear into so I also talk about um what that means for someone with a vulva um and talk about the reality of the hymen and that it doesn't break it can tear stretch that's for sure um and when it does stretch it is possible that it can cause pain um but that's not always the case and People don't always experience that during sex for the first time. A hymen can stretch during many different instances of physical activity. And so for some background info, the hymen is like hymenal tissue that's located at the entrance of the vagina, kind of like surrounding it, not completely covering it. I think some people have that vision that it's like just this like little door that gets punctured, something can be punctured through it. Um, So yeah, that's giving that background information and then um, explaining that some people have more hymenal tissue, some people have none, some people have very little. And so um, there really isn't one way to know if, you know, like your hymen's going to experience that during sex. Yes. Yeah. L- another long winded, lots of information, no, but it's helpful. You know. <laughs> it's so great. I think. That's all fantastic and so, again, thorough, like really inclusive, super thorough. The two like things that I would also like maybe include to that are number one, and this is coming from my personal experience, like hormonal birth control made my vaginal dryness like really intense and that caused for me like painful sex. And so like that is something that some people experience. And if that's your experience, like maybe consider if hormonal birth control is not the right method of birth control for you. And three things actually. Lube, if you are someone who wants to have penetrative sex, like really consider lube. There's silicone, there's water, there's oil, there's hybrids of those. And it can really add such a pleasurable experience um, to your, your sexual encounter Uh, Don't use oil-based lube with condoms because they can break. And thirdly, like on the topic of virginity being a social construct slash like penetrative penis vagina sex being quote unquote losing your virginity, there's so many other ways that people have sex. And sex can include genitals and touching, but it can also include kissing and hugging and cuddling and humping and like all these other ways that we don't talk about when we talk about quote unquote having sex for the first time. And so don't forget about the clitoris. The clitoris is not an internal like thing that necessarily you would talk about when you're talking about penetration, but a majority of the clitoris exists inside of the body. And that should be included if it feels good for you during quote unquote sex, whatever sex means for you. Um, So I just think it's really important that we like discuss these other pieces of what would constitute sex in order for our queer students and queer people who don't necessarily have a penis and a vagina or want to have that kind of experience can know that there is so there are so many other ways to have pleasurable sex. Um, and speaking of pleasure, we have two time for two more questions. I'll do one and then you do one more. Yeah, sounds um, great. But mine that I get often about like pleasure is like around masturbation. And there's mm-hmm. some sort of form of like, I masturbate a lot and I can't stop and like I feel guilty like a lot of shame and like discomfort around this like quote unquote sin that masturbation is and that they can't stop right and typically and I'm going to give a short answer and I'm sure you're going to get the long winded but in a good way um, it's kind of like oh um, masturbation for most people is completely normal and unless it's getting in the way of your daily responsibilities such as school or work or if it's not feeling good for you 
than go to town is like yeah. usually what yeah. I say. Like feel good. There's a lot of unlearning that we have to do when it comes to masturbation. You know your body best and we shouldn't be embarrassed about pleasure that we can bring in our bodies and try to figure out like how to like be at peace with that reality because if you're feeling good and it's not, you know, bleeding into your other kind of daily life responsibilities where you can't stop doing it and there's there's nothing wrong with that. Like that is amazing and you should feel good about that. Absolutely. Yeah. I With this one, it's really as simple as that typically um, because I'm primarily speaking to really young teenagers and things like that. I emphasize that it's normal to want to masturbate. It's normal to not want to masturbate. Um, and yeah, you are kind of in charge of evaluating what is comfortable for you, maybe what your um, values are, because sometimes that plays a huge role for um, a lot of young folks. Um, and then also the fact that it's a very safe sexual activity in terms of like STI protection or concerns and pregnancy, like those aren't risks involved with masturbation. Um, and so that can sometimes alleviate some stress around that because some students are like, can I get, can I get an STI? Like what can, what can happen if I do this? Um, so mentioning that, but really about validating that this is totally normal to want to do and to do it. Um, and yeah, safety in terms of protection is there, but, um, safety in terms of like your life, that's something for you to evaluate and then of course the public and private thing because yes exactly I say that too like especially when we're talking about kids like hey like this is something that should be done uh in your bedroom or if you don't have access to private space in your bedroom in your bathroom Mm -hmm. um and just talking about the fact that like there are so many of us who have done that as kids and like (laughs) know that kids are doing that and know that we need to make them feel safe and I kind of describe it as like it's just like going to the bathroom but a more fun version of that like you wouldn't go to the bathroom in your living room you would go to the bathroom in the bathroom because there's a private space for that where you're going to be by yourself um but anyway okay what's your what's your fifth what's or or your first I guess your your most asked or another one that you you feel like you get often this would just be another one. Um, maybe not the first. I don't know. Uh, can you say, get... sorry, I put this like, no, it's list, all good. But it's like, they're all kind of, I kind of agree. It's hard to rank them. I feel like yeah. depending yeah. on the season, there are different ones that are in vogue. Exactly. So true. Um, can you get like, how can you get STIs? Can you get an mm. STI from oral sex specifically? I get a lot mm. of those questions. And I also think this kind of circles back to the idea of virginity being so tied to penis to vagina sex. Um, and then people thinking that's the only kind of valid way that sex is experienced. And so then in turn, they don't think that there are... They're like, oh, uh, I'm fine. This is good. Exactly. There's no risks involved with anal sex or oral sex or genital to genital when, um, you know, yeah, those are still things too that can have risks with in terms of STIs. So one, really normalizing that STIs are common. They happen. They're just another infection that really everyone a lot of people get if they are having sex it's just a thing um there are so many ways to uh talk about it in terms of your health or communicating with the partner negotiating safer sex practices um getting tested together like that's that should all be a part of a healthy sex life or experience um you know you might learn that stuff as you grow older um, or get more comfortable, that's totally valid. But just kind of setting the tone that STIs happen. It's like getting the cold. It is what it is. And they're very much treatable. Even the ones that can't be completely cured, um, they're they're treatable and manageable and not life ending um, in the way that some people might really, really think that they are um, or still are. So there's that. And then of course the like just medically accurate information of how STIs are transmitted um, and really emphasizing the fluids that they can be transmitted through skin to skin contact um, and then the different types of sex. And that includes oral sex. 
And I might, you know, explain exactly how that would happen, like what fluids would go where and what STIs could go that way. Yeah. Super helpful. Yeah. I think like similarly, a lot of students are just like, oh, I don't really understand like this whole STI thing and like what constitutes an STI. I try to share like, oh, you know, there are viral and bacterial and parasitic STIs and the four H's are the Mm -hmm. viral STIs, herpes, HIV, hepatitis B, and um, the human papillomavirus. And that's like the way that I go about them. And yeah, it's just really important to know that like with medication, all STIs are manageable, some are curable and treatable. And so I think that, I yeah, it's just like really important to understand that, like you said, it's like, it's like a cold. Like when we get a cold or when we get a sore throat, we go to the doctor, we get antibiotics and we treat it and it should be the same thing for STIs. Um, this has been so fun. Thank you so yes. much for being here. Um, I'm wondering if you can share where people can find you and watch your content. Yeah. Um, Sex Ed Files. That's both on Instagram and TikTok. No website yet or anything like that. Who hey, knows? It'll be, it'll be coming <laughs> at some point, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I've really just loved like collaborating with you and working with you. And I can't wait. We have some other kind of projects up our sleeve. So stay tuned. Um, And I hope you have such a wonderful day. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much. This has been so fun. Do you ever look at yourself in the mirror and think, damn, my part is fine art? Well, Clona Willie definitely thinks so. Made in Portland, Oregon, Clona Willie makes for the most personalized sex toy on the planet. And Clona Pussy makes for the most unique memento. Their mission is to create unique, affordable, and high-quality products that will not only last over the years, but provide their customers with a fun and memorable experience. Use promo code SEXEDWITHDB20 for 20% off at clonawilly.com. Let's talk about lube and condoms. Something important to know is that oil-based lube is not to be used with condoms because the oil can cause the condom to break or tear, which would defeat the purpose of using it. Thank goodness for Uber Lube. Uber Lube is latex compatible, so it's safe and effective to use with condoms. But wait, there's more. Dispensing two drops of Uber Lube inside a condom and a measured pump outside will increase pleasure. What are you waiting for? Use code SEXEDWITHDB for 15% off at uberlube.com. Seven years ago, I was gifted my first ever vibrator. It was a rabbit vibe, and I was immediately in love with it and the pleasure it gave me. Having a bit of experience with rabbit vibes over the last seven years, I am absolutely stoked to tell you about an amazing one from Fun Factory. Miss Buy from Fun Factory is the dual vibrator you've been dreaming of, with a powerful German-engineered motor that gives you super strong vibrations. Follow Fun Factory on IG at FunFactoryUSA, and use code SEXED with DB for 15% off your new favorite German rabbit vibe. Our creator, host, EP, and sound engineer is me, Danielle Bezalel, aka DB. Our co-producer and communications lead is Catherine Cohen. Our music theme is by Hook Sounds, and our ad music is by my stepdad, Bill Gant. Thank you so much to our featured guests, partners, and our listeners. Want to advertise with us? Email us at sexedwithdb at gmail.com. For more sex ed content, follow us on IG at sexedwithdbpodcast and on TikTok at sexedwithdb. See you next time.